I had been invited to speak at the National Mompreneur Conference. My talk was how optimizing your pelvic health can make you a better mompreneur. And all the presenters or speakers at the conference were some sort of a business coach, strategy, marketing, business development, what have you. And so I joked when I came on stage that they now had a vagina coach for their business. And that's where the term came from. And it was like this aha moment. I said, that's it. It's a word that nobody likes to say. It's where I want people to be focusing their attention. And I want to step boldly into this discomfort and try to help people get past that so that we're not hush-hushing the word vagina. Welcome to the Raise Your Hand Motherhood Podcast, a place where you just might find or hear a tiny piece of your motherhood reality. I'm your host, Raylan Minka, an educator, writer, and emotionally frazzled toddler mom. If you've ever felt lonely in your motherhood journey or asked yourself, am I the only one experiencing this? Then you, my friend, are in the right place. Each episode focuses on a different but common motherhood struggle, where we discuss the ups, the downs, and the WTFs with moms from all around the world. So whether you're stroller pushing and podcasting yourself around the neighborhood, waiting at the doctor's office for your next fertility treatment, or listening with a well-deserved glass of wine at the end of another full day of motherhood, welcome. I hope you can relate to some of what you hear in today's episode, and get ready to raise your hand if you do. Hey mamas and welcome to a new year. I'm your host Raylan Minka and I've got a really special episode lined up for you today so I'm glad you could join me. First of all, 2022 was a pretty wild year, am I right? To me it felt, I don't know, equal parts challenging, uncomfortable, and quick, like incredibly quick. I can't even quite believe it's 2023 already. So much has happened in the past three years, and it feels like a bit of a blur. I mean, I can feel myself still in 2019, standing on our rooftop in Vancouver, watching the fireworks go off as we rang in the new year, and then everything changed. Not just for me or for my family, but as you know, for everybody. It's actually bizarre to think that during the uncertainty and overwhelm and loneliness of the past three years, We've actually all just lived through one of the most globally connected and shared experiences of our lives, probably of our entire lives. Now, I know New Year's resolutions are not for everyone, but each year after Christmas, I like to sit down and brainstorm a word for the following year. I think of it as a sort of intention or guiding principle for the year ahead. It's like a really simple mantra that I can repeat or visualize when I'm feeling stuck, and it reminds me of where I want to put my focus in the following year. If this sounds like something you'd like to try as well, just let me plant that seed in your head and let it grow over the next 45 minutes or so. I'm going to share my word later on in the episode. Well, two words actually, so stay tuned. Okay, so let's get back to today's episode, and I want to start off with a question. How knowledgeable and confident are you about the health of your pelvic floor? Now, I know some of you might be thinking, uh, Ray, to be completely honest, I've never thought about my pelvic floor, let alone how healthy it is or isn't. And to those listeners, I say, it is time. In today's episode, I'm joined by a very special guest to talk about some very under-discussed topics. Kim Vopney is most commonly known and referred to as the vagina coach, and she's here to speak with me about pelvic floor health, a topic that is important for everybody who is listening, whether young, old, pregnant, menopausal, or in some other stage of life or motherhood. We cover a lot of ground together in this interview, including some of the most common confidence stealers women experience in regards to their pelvic health, and what actions we can take to reclaim that confidence. Yeah, your ears may have perked up a little bit when I said that. Without even realizing it, you may have come to the conclusion that, eh, this is just life now, and gone about your daily business as a busy mom with a whole lot less confidence in yourself or your body post-motherhood. And yes, it's true, you don't have to live out the rest of your motherhood days with pelvic pain, or continue buying panty liners until the end of time and crossing your legs every time you have to cough or sneeze. And even if you're not one of the moms or women of all ages that struggle with things like incontinence or prolapse or some other taboo pelvic health issue that leaves us feeling alone with a lot of questions, you're going to want to listen today anyways, because this truly is something that every person with a pelvic floor needs to know about. All right, mamas, I hope you enjoy my conversation with Kim and learn as much as I did from this interview. I'm excited to kick off the new year with this topic. I mean, who doesn't want to feel a little bit or a lot more confident in their own body? 
I'll be right back with the interview and a whole lot more, so don't go anywhere. Hi, welcome to the pod. Hi, nice to meet you. Nice to meet you too. For everyone listening, Kim is the coach that every vagina needs, even for the vaginas and the moms that didn't necessarily know that they needed a coach. You can find Kim on Instagram and TikTok at the handle at Vagina Coach, where she shares helpful and educational information with her combined 100,000 followers or so about pelvic health and topics like incontinence, prolapse, and so much more. Kim, can you give the listeners a bit of a synopsis of who you are and how you became the Vagina Coach? Mm-hmm. Yeah, thank you so much for having me um, and for the introduction. So it's uh, it's a question, I, it's probably the most common question I get asked Second to why didn't anybody tell me about this? Yep. <laughs> but the the, uh, the the story is essentially I grew up with a bit of a fear of childbirth, fear slash fascination, and I remember seeing a childbirth video, and that was part of my sex ed. And I went home and looked at my mom and said, "Well, she did it," but also recognizing as I grew up watching her that she eventually stopped running because she had incontinence. She had chronic back pain. She had a tummy that wouldn't flatten, you know, so there were, there were little glimpses. And and when I started to question her on that, she was very open um, with myself and my brother. She kind of jokingly blamed it on childbirth. And so that was mm-hmm. another kind of clue to me that I wasn't going to do that. And right. then when I did decide I wanted to start a family, so I met my husband to decide I want to have children, I was determined to have a different story than my mom. And the year before I had watched my sister-in-law give birth, that was my first introduction to different than what you see on media and in that childbirth video that I saw. So she was in a different birth position than I had ever seen, which was Mm. side lying. She was using midwives. Uh, The next day, I remember asking her, you know, how did she prevent tearing? Because she didn't have any, and and it was perineal massage. And so the next year when I was pregnant myself, I asked my midwives about perineal massage and what was there anything else I could do? And they had recommended a product to me called the Epino, which is out of Germany, actually. It's a ah. company called Texana in Germany. Yep. And there wasn't a ton of information, but what I read made sense to me. It's essentially a biofeedback device that helps you connect with a group of muscles that we just can't see. And it allows you to strengthen them, but also learn how to relax them, which is super important mm-hmm. from a birthing perspective and ongoing function. So I purchased one of these. There were there was one person selling them in Canada, and I purchased one from her. I had a great experience. I certainly credit that I also was in a sideline position. I did use midwives. Uh, they were using, you know, uh, warm compresses. They did a lot of things as well. But they were surprised that I didn't tear because my my son came. My first son crowned sideways, which is the widest way oh, wow. to come out, and I had no abrasions or tearing and. So they knew that this had played a role in it as well. Okay. And after that experience, I thought, okay, I, I think more people should know about this. And I contacted the company and said, could I be a distributor in Canada? And it was just supposed to be a little side thing. And, you know, it's now 18 years later. So that was sort of the catalyst. And I then started an e-commerce store with other pelvic health products. I then had pelvic floor physical therapists referring to me, and I had never heard of that profession before. So wow. that was another kind of light bulb moment for me with why are we not talking about this more? Uh, I formed a second business called Belly Zinc with two other women. One was a pelvic floor physical therapist, and we were looking at optimizing postpartum recovery with specific exercise and also postpartum wrap. So incorporating what a lot of the specifically Southeast Asia cultures Mm. will use. And so early on, it was pregnancy and postpartum was really my main focus. And then as I was moving into perimenopause and now postmenopause myself, the the brand I had or the handle was Fitness Doula. And at the time, that resonated really well. But as I was moving more with people who some had never even been pregnant before, the term doula wasn't necessarily applicable anymore. Mm -hmm. So I knew I needed a change. And I had been invited to speak at the National Mompreneur Conference. This is about five or six years ago now. And my talk was how optimizing your pelvic health can make you a better mompreneur. And all the presenters or speakers at the conference were some sort of a business coach, strategy, marketing, business development, what have you. And so I joked when I came on stage that they now had a vagina coach for their <laughs> business. And that's where the term came from. And it was it was like this aha moment. I said, that's it. It's a word that nobody likes to say. It's where I want people to be focusing their attention. And I want to step boldly into this discomfort and try to 
help people get past that so that we're not hush hushing the word vagina. Yeah, you know, <laughs> can we can we jump right off of that and talk about some of the scary words? I'm using air quotes here that moms, mm-hmm. that women, that people with vaginas don't want to say out loud, mm-hmm. let alone admit that they might be struggling with or mm-hmm. try to seek treatment for like things like incontinence, things like prolapse. Mm-hmm. What do what yeah. do most of the clients that you work with come to you for? Incontinence and prolapse for sure. And I would say probably prolapse is up there on the list, given that I have, that's been a main part of my pelvic health journey was me dealing with my own prolapse stories. So um, the, the two often will go hand in hand, but not necessarily. So some people will have both at the same time. Some may have one or the other, but both are very common. Actually, prolapse is statistically more common than incontinence. If you just look at evidence, Okay, uh, I think the number of people struggling with incontinence is actually higher than what we see statistically, just because there's a lot of people who think that it's normal and they never seek treatment or they never ask about it because they just think that's what media says, which is it's just part of being a woman, which I wholeheartedly disagree with. So incontinence is definitely one. And that's the one that is more easy, I would say, is is easier for people to sort of say, oh, you know, it is just part of being a woman, or that's what happens after you've given birth, or that's just what happens as you get closer to menopause and you're aging. And media tells us that that's true. And we are sometimes even told by our care providers that that is true. Mm-hmm. And it's not, it's very treatable. And there's different types of incontinence too. So there's stress urinary incontinence, which is where little bits of urine will leak out with a, a laugh, a cough, a sneeze, or picking something up or standing up from a chair. And that's the one that the pad companies are marketing mm-hmm. to us for. People call it sneeze pee or peezing as well. And easy to laugh off, you know, oh, it's just a little leak. And sure, you can put a pad in and carry on. And, and it's not that disruptive. I, do, I don't want to say that it, it isn't, but it is not as disruptive as it can be when left unattended. Mm-hmm. And also uh, as urgent continence. So urgent continence or urgency is where people, there, there's typically a trigger that, will all of a sudden send alarm bells to the bladder and it's like yelling at you. Go now. Urgently get to the bathroom. And sometimes you might lose a little bit of urine. Sometimes it may be a complete release of the bladder. And that one is a little more challenging because now people are afraid to go out or they're afraid to do things because if they're not close to a bathroom, they could be in a bit of a pickle. So that one can be a bit more life altering. You can have a combination of urge and stress. So that would be considered mixed incontinence. And you can also have anal incontinence. So this would be definitely one that is not talked about as often. It's it's certainly less common, but it is something that we need to talk about because if you're leaking gas or stool, that is significantly life altering. altering. And people who've had third or fourth degree tears are at a much greater risk of experiencing anal incontinence. And unfortunately, at this time, there really is no screening for it. And there are several doctors working to bring voice and and awareness to, it's called obstetric anal sphincter injuries, or OASIS is the, the acronym. Because in my opinion, every single woman should be seeing a pelvic floor physical therapist every year. Mm-hmm. At the very, you know, to take a step down, every woman giving birth should And to take another one, every single woman who has a third or fourth degree tear, hands down, should absolutely see a pelvic floor physio. So that's the incontinence piece. And then there's prolapse, which is where the bladder, the uterus, and or the rectum. So those are the three most common. The intestines and the urethra can be involved in there as well. But the three most common would be bladder, uterus, rectum. Mm -hmm. Shift out of their proper anatomical position, and they can bulge into or descend into the vagina. And early stage prolapse is often asymptomatic. People don't know they have it. Symptoms don't indicate severity. So there are some people that have early stage prolapse who have a huge array of symptoms, and there are other people who the bulge is almost at the entrance to the vagina, and they have no idea. Mm-hmm, I've heard so, this. Yeah, it's 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 not uh, symptoms can be a bit of a pain in the butt, so to speak, because you they can be very distracting and we can interpret that if we have worsening symptoms that that must mean my prolapse is worse, but Mm -hmm. that doesn't necessarily equate. So this is the one that is more challenging from a mental health perspective to deal with as well as the symptoms. So it's the one that really kind of stops people in their their tracks and they get this diagnosis. They've never heard of it before. Mm. They're often told they can't run or jump or do anything. If they haven't been told that, they may 
believe that because there's a sensation of something is going to fall out. There's a, there's a real vulnerability that people feel in their body and they're afraid to move. They're afraid to do all the things that they enjoy that are really beneficial for the pelvic floor. And so, um, yeah, so it's it's the the more challenging, I would say. And I've experienced a stage two uterine prolapse. So the stages are how close to the entrance to the vagina it is. Oh, okay. And stage four would be where there's a bulge outside of the vagina. Mm-hmm. So I've had a stage two uterine prolapse and a stage two rectocele. A rectocele is where the rectum bulges in the back wall of the vagina. And I was able to reverse the uterine prolapse. And after nine years of living with the rectocele, I was, nothing was working and I decided I was choosing surgery. And so that was a really big decision. It's a big decision for anybody. Uh, I was really afraid to make that decision because of what I do. I felt like a bit of a hypocrite. I felt like uh, people were going to, you know, look at me like I've, you're giving up or you're failing kind of thing. Right. But it, it, it highlighted to me also that this is a topic we also need to not shy away from because it can be a really good option for some people, but we need a whole heck of a lot more attention and information, <clears throat> excuse me, provided to us during that process, because I think a lot of the reason why we can have a high failure rate or high rate of recurrence is because people aren't given the tools to know how to heal properly, how to recover, how to progress back to fitness. So so that put kind of prolapse as a very heavy emphasis on what people come to me for. The, the other category is pelvic pain. So people who have uh, they'll they'll be told they have a tight pelvic floor or that their pelvic floor is hypertonic or mm-hmm. non-relaxing. Those are all terms that can be used that are more likely to be associated with pain. But overactivity in the pelvic floor can also be a contributor to incontinence and prolapse. And it's actually very common for people to have more tone or act- overactivity in their pelvic floor than than laxity. And so the the pain side is. Uh, I help with everything I do is is really helping optimize the balance of effort and ease in that group of muscles to help alleviate pain, to help alleviate incontinence, to help alleviate prolapse. And I work collaboratively with pelvic floor physical therapists who really do the internal evaluation and treatment. They can handle some of the movement mm-hmm. pieces as well, but often for sort of the more fitness and progress back to other activities that's kind of where I come in. And also I play a role for people who simply don't have access to pelvic floor physical therapy as well. Okay. Gosh, there's just so much to like talk about <laughs> to, to go deeper on with all of that. I find it so shocking that, you know, 50% or whatever of the population female able to go through pregnancy, um, have children birth, not saying that prolapse or incontinence are only caused mm-hmm. by those like by childbirth. Um, I know that they can be caused by other things, but that it is such an under-discussed or not discussed. Like when I when I experienced a mild prolapse myself after having a child and was telling people because that's that's my way of coping and learning is to reach out and ask other people like, well, I'm hearing that women can experience this after childbirth. Like, so who do I know who's mm-hmm. experienced it? And it was like crickets. Like I I didn't know anybody apparently who had, or people had never even heard of it, of it before, or through conversations, talking about it and talking about my pelvic floor therapist that I was seeing, you know, speaking with other moms in my life who, who were kind of going like, oh, well, I've, yeah, I've, I've had incontinence, you know, for the last four or five years since having my first child or mm-hmm. since maybe I should get that looked at mm-hmm. actually. Like it's, it just boggles my mind. <laughs> Can you, <I'm- laughs> sorry, sorry, a little bit of a tangent, but What do the mothers that you work with feel when they come to you? And how do the issues that they're experiencing affect their confidence levels from your observation? Mm -hmm. Uh, What they feel is anger and resentment and fear, worry. um, So all of those kind of lumped into, you know, what is this? Why didn't anybody tell me about this? Have I done something wrong? Can I reverse this? Can I fix it? Can I still have sex? Can I exercise? You know, there's all sorts of questions that are in mixed in Mm -hmm. with all of those emotions that they are feeling. So that's, that's kind of the initial. And then once we can kind of explain what's happening, explain what are all of the different contributors, because it's not just pregnancy and childbirth. People who've never been pregnant can experience incontinence and prolapse and pelvic pain. Uh, Pregnancy and childbirth are definite they definitely increase our risk and 
vaginal childbirth has an additional layer that would increase the risk a little bit more than cesarean, but cesarean doesn't make you immune to any of these either. And there was one study that mm-hmm. was uh, looked at six weeks postpartum, cesarean and vaginal childbirth, and it was 83, I believe it was 83% of the women had some degree of prolapse and 50% of those were a stage two or greater. It's super, super common. And again, why are we not telling people? So when I created my first program, Prepare to Push, it was all about getting the information to people before there was a problem and giving them the awareness of what to do in those, mm. uh, like see a pelvic floor physio, what to do in the early weeks postpartum, and then how to incorporate that in on an ongoing basis as well. And that can help alleviate that resentment and that fear and that angst because they now at least if it happens they can still be angry that it's happened they can still be disappointed they might still feel Mm -hmm. like oh i've done something wrong but there are so many factors that go into the development of of prolapse it could be constipation it could be this a breathing strategy that you've always had and this just sort of exacerbated it there's there's lots of that but they then know what to do. They then know that there is hope. They then know that there's help. And, and the sooner we intervene, I feel like I don't have any research to show this, but I feel like there's better outcomes both mentally and physically for people. So the the mental health and sort of the confidence layer is something that really cannot be understated. And I would say it's it's heavier weighted towards prolapse. Not to say that people who have incontinence aren't right. experiencing a decline in their confidence potentially, but I feel like the the prolapse has an additional layer of challenge for people to overcome. And, and a big part mm-hmm. of what I do is helping people see what's possible and give them the tools to make choices for their body about their movement and show that you can lift weight and you can run and jump. And there's all these other things we can do to help support your pelvic floor during the process. Wow. I'd love to talk more about the work that you do and the content you you create through your social media accounts. So you've got a very large online following and community. Um, again, for anyone listening, you can go follow Kim at Vagina Coach on Instagram or TikTok right now. Um, can you talk about how your social accounts grew and how it feels to be reaching so many people on these important issues? Mm-hmm. Yeah, social media has been such a huge help in creating awareness around pelvic health. So back to when I first started 18 years ago, I started this online store and we did not have Instagram. We did not have Facebook. Um, and so I created an in-person event and then not long after that Twitter came along. And so that was kind of the first platform Mm. that I was on. And yeah, I was trying to learn how to, you know, what, what, what is this and how do you reach people and learned about hashtags. So I remember putting in hashtag pelvic floor and, you know, sort of the response you used already, it was like crickets, right? There was nobody there and nothing came back. So, but I just kept trying. I thought, okay, I'll just, I was just posting random thoughts about pelvic health and searching for other people. And one day there was a, was a, was a hit, so to speak. And I was connected with a urogynecologist in Reno, Nevada named Dr. Bruce Crawford, who had created a, a fitness program. And everything that I had read up to finding him was all about Kegels and isolate the pelvic floor, no inner thighs, no glutes, no nothing, just just pelvic floor, no ab engagement. And and I was like, when I'm feeling it in my body, there is awareness of other things happening. And how do you just isolate? And is that really what we should be doing? I don't believe that things work in isolation. So when I found out his program mm-hmm. and his philosophy, I reached out immediately and I said, you are the first person that is speaking my language where I feel like this is what we need to do. So he looked at the pelvic floor the inner thighs, the deep abdominals, and the glutes. And he was evaluating movement to see where the pelvic floor was most engaged and, and you know, basically created a fitness program. So that was kind of, that was a first key moment for me. And I, I started talking a little bit more and connecting with him. I ended up teaching with him for a couple of years. And then, you know, Facebook was the next one to show up. And that at the time was personal. It was, there was nothing business on Facebook for a long period of time. So, right. Yeah. yeah. So it was kind <laughs> of Twitter that. was the thing and then <laughs> SEO trying to get more people to your website and creating in-person events. So that's kind of how that was, was, was started. And when Instagram came along, I already felt overloaded with Twitter and Facebook and SEO and managing a website. And so I actually thought, you know, I, I can't handle another channel. And so I, I wasn't on it for a long time. 
And then I found, uh, so Pinterest was around for a while and I really loved Pinterest and I loved from a, just a personal perspective, I loved scrolling and seeing all these beautiful images. And then Pinterest started to become almost businessy as well too. And then I started to think, well, I don't want to look at business ads. I, I just like the, the scrolling of beautiful images. And then I thought, okay. So I went and checked out Instagram and I thought, yeah. well, maybe I do like Instagram. Yeah. <laughs> and so I created a, I created a profile that was just personal at the start. Um, so if you go all the way back to the very beginning, it was just, I think it was around this time of the year, actually. I remember it being kind of close to Christmas when I started and, and then, you know, randomly I would interject the odd little bit of kind of work-related stuff, pelvic health, and it just sort of grew from there. I just started to connect with other people and and found this bigger community of people called it the pelvic mafia online. Oh, and, wow. Um, I've never heard that. Yeah. That's awesome. So Instagram is, has always been, kind of been my main, my favorite platform. It's where I have the bigger following. It's where I spent the most time. But then, of course, TikTok comes along. And again, I was mm-hmm. reluctant and resistant and finally... Uh, probably, I don't know, six or eight months ago. I can't remember how long. Within the last year, I I finally said, okay, I'll do other TikTok. So I'm over there now too. And then, <laughs> yeah. of course, in the meantime, Facebook has become heavily focused on business stuff. And so I have a couple of, I have a private group there. But I, I you know, I, I don't know. I, I try to use all of them because I know people are like different platforms. I'm also on YouTube and I do have a Pinterest page now too. So I have kind of, I have content in all the places. I hope you have someone working for you that, or working with you that helps with all of these, all of these yeah, platforms. Everybody has a preferred area. And so I'm trying to, you know, cast the net out so that people can hear it in multiple places and not be restricted. If they don't like mm-hmm. Instagram or they don't like TikTok, that doesn't mean that they can't have access to the information. Right. So you work one-on-one with clients as well. Am I, is that correct? Correct. Yes. Yeah. And you also have a number of programs um, that you've put together. What are your main goals when you're creating programs for your clients? And what what are your most popular programs? And what do you sort of pull from your own experience dealing with prolapse, dealing with pelvic health issues um, in your own life? And how mm-hmm. do you how do you use that experience and apply it to the, the building of these programs? Mm hmm. So the first program that I created was Prepare to Push, which I mentioned earlier. And this was out of my experience going through pregnancy and birth and recognizing that there was a lot of information that really should be shared that wasn't being shared. So Prepare to Push started out as a workshop in person. Again, we didn't have social media and all that at the time. So I started doing Mm -hmm. these workshops and I also started to see clients one-on-one in pregnancy and uh, mainly from a birth prep perspective. And so what went into that program was everything that I kind of, I did on my own in my own pregnancies but also everything that I was now learning. So I trained as a doula as well. And so everything else I was now starting oh. to learn about birth and and applying fitness principles to it. So I was a personal trainer. We A, a principle of specificity in fitness means that if you want to run a marathon, you're going to run progressively longer and faster. And it's all going to center around running. It's specific to that activity because that's what we're training for. And you're going to have a program that builds you up. You're going to taper off before race day. You're going to go perform your race. And then you're going to have an element of recovery. So you can do that again. And I looked at birth the same way. And so that was what went into that program was birth is very physically demanding. Arguably, it's probably like four or five different marathons. So why are we not training for it? And then out of that, then um, I, I, I looked at postpartum recovery being very overlooked as well. So yes, we're mm-hmm. doing all this work from a prep perspective, but then now we're getting a six-week green light and I think that that's too early. So how can we optimize postpartum recoveries? And that was where I worked with two other women. We formed Bellies Inc. We incorporated Bang Kung wrapping in a more modern day version and coupled exercise with it. And out of that, actually, we created a certification program because we recognized that we, two of us, two of the three of us were working in fitness and one mm-hmm. is a physiotherapist. The physiotherapist didn't like sending her clients back out to personal trainers because personal trainers had no idea about pelvic health and would often unravel some of the work that she had done with her her patients. Uh, right. And in fitness, we were saying this conversation, this is a group of muscles in the body that we learn about all the other muscles. Why not this? And this one is so central to so many things that we're doing. Why are we not educated on this? So we created a certification to bridge that gap and educate fitness professionals about working with women in pregnancy, motherhood, and beyond as it pertains to the pelvic floor and and these conditions like incontinence and prolapse that we have a role of 
for screening. We cannot diagnose, but we can help screen for them. We can refer on to pelvic floor physio and we can help these clients with movement that will help, um, help improve rather than hinder some of their challenges. So that's what came out of that. And then as we were our, our own selves going through perimenopause and kind of na- navigating that transition into menopause, we said, this is a conversation that needs to happen through all our life stages. And there's, there's, different things to consider. So as we're in perimenopause and menopause, we have this fluctuation of hormones. We start to experience things like vaginal dryness and potentially atrophy. Incontinence is often exacerbated. Same with prolapse. Pelvic pain Mm -hmm. can become an issue, pain with sex. And we needed to kind of factor in that hormone piece there as well. So in that time, my Kegel Mojo program was because I was mainly, I had been working mainly one-on-one with clients in person, either in their homes or in a, like a studio or a clinic space. And as anybody who works one-on-one with people, you're, you can only help that one person at that one time. And now as the Mm -hmm. world was opening up with social media and, and, you know, all the doors were opening, I thought, how can I reach more people? And Mm -hmm. an online program was what we needed. So prepare to push went online I created Kegel Mojo because I said, I want this information to be there for people who can't come and see me in person or who can't see a pelvic floor physical therapist in person. And there's a balance between exercise and education. And it gives people a a wealth of tools and also education around stuff we really should have been told from a, a much younger age. So that was the development of that one. And I wanted to put everything that I knew and all the movement that I was doing and had done to help with my pelvic health. Mm-hmm. And then around the same time, two things happened. One, I chose to have surgery. I created a program based on that because, again, I said there there is zero information about surgery and what is available is very scary. So how can I make this a little bit more empowering for people and kind of help them navigate that decision to have surgery, to prepare for it, to recover from it and get back to fitness? And then uh, around that same time, I also created an app you know, recognizing that so many people are on their phones and logging into an online program is not what some people want to do. So the app, you know, puts all my content in there plus a a monthly challenge that I run. And yeah, so again, it's kind of, I'm trying to cover the basis for all the different types of learning styles, all the different budgets, all the geographical considerations that are out there and um, doing my best to serve people that need help. (laughs) So the app you're talking about, this is your Buff Muff app? Correct. Yes. Can you ta- can you talk a little bit more for the listeners about what is offered, how much that would cost for someone listening who's thinking, I would like to mm-hmm. hop right onto the, you know, Apple Play or Google Play or whatever it is shop and and download that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so the the app is available in, you know, for iPhones and and Android users. There there's two options. Most people start with the app by starting the 28-day challenge. So the first of every month there is 28 days of workouts that progress people from kind of that early connecting with the pelvic floor up to whole body movement. So I take a very holistic approach. It's not just do 10 sets of Kegels today and call it a day. Mm -hmm. It's, it's, it's a, we need a balance, as I said earlier, between effort and ease. There's whole body movement that people do in a 10 minute workout each day. So the challenge lays the foundation and helps sort of retrain the pelvic floor and gives people a hint into this is totally different than anything I've ever done. I've tried Kegels and they didn't work. And and this is totally different. So that's usually where they start. And then they have an option to join the monthly membership, which if they've taken a challenge, the challenge is $27. And if they've taken the challenge, they then have an option to join the membership for um, $13.50 a month which is 50% off of what the normal monthly rate is. Okay. If people just came in on their own and started using the app, it would be 27 bucks a month. And some people say, oh, that's that's expensive. I mean, at the end of the day, pads are going to cost you between yeah. $50 to $150 a month. Um, but there's there's the it's not just you have access to an app. You have access to me with two weekly coaching calls. You have access to ask questions, to connect with others. There's tracking capabilities in there so you can track your pad use and what have you. You have all the different types of workouts. So people see that I'm lifting weights and I'm jumping and I'm doing all this stuff. Many was were filmed before when I did have my prolapse. They get access to Mm -hmm. hypopressives, which is the one technique that really helps and helped me overcome my prolapse. There's meal plans. There's, I call it my vagina village. There's a whole 
crew of other people Community in there that, or- that help out. So you, it's a lot, it's a ton of value for 27 bucks a month and you can cancel anytime. So even if you came and just joined for a month and went through and got some information, it would change your life. It really would. You mentioned, um, meal plans, for mm-hmm. example, in that app. And it just got me thinking, can you, um, talk about some of the other factors, you know, aside from exercise and, and pelvic floor related specific exercise, mm-hmm. can you talk about some of the other factors that women can or should consider when they're struggling with any of the issues that we're discussing today, things like nutrition, mental health? Yeah. So as I mentioned, it's, it's holistic. We, it's not just do your Kegels. We are like, if, if anybody's heard anything about pelvic floor, it's usually go home and do your Kegels. And we know from research that Kegels work when they're done correctly, when they're done consistently. And I take it a step further and coordinate it with movement. So being told to do Kegels and have no assessment or no education around and and even evaluation of if you're doing them correctly is not serving us. Mm -hmm. So we are told that and think that that's the only thing. And then we see devices. Ooh, it's a Kegel device or Kegel weights. Maybe that is what will help me. Or then we see vaginal rejuvenation at all these clinics and maybe that's what I need. And, And so we are focused solely on strengthening or tightening muscles, which I'm not going to say can't play a role. It absolutely can. But we aren't looking at the whole person and the whole body. And we need to factor in stress. We need to factor in sleep. We need to factor in diet and lifestyle. So what does the person do for work? So people who have heavy lifting jobs, for instance, like mail carriers are at an increased risk for pelvic floor challenges. People who are chronically constipated, people who are eating a highly inflammatory diet will often have um, more symptoms or an exacerbation of, and again, the ripple effect of if their diet is poor, they're probably not sleeping well, probably constipated. Mm, right. You know, it's just kind of a, which came first. And yeah. so we, we need to address all those things and not just do Kegels and, and call it a day. <laughs> call it a day. Yeah, Um, it's all really, really good points. Um, As a last question, Kim, I'd love to ask you what your must do's for mothers or moms to be listening uh, might be. So what advice or tips do you have for someone either in preparation for motherhood or realizing and acknowledging that they might need some help now after birth or wherever they are in their motherhood journey? Because you don't just work with people who have just had kids like you work with women, as you said, through perimenopause, after menopause, um, also dealing with public health issues. Yeah. So what what advice would you have for them to start seeking out treatment or help or information to start feeling strong and healthy again? Mm-hmm. So a few different things. One, uh, go to Google, put in pelvic floor physical therapy <clears throat> in your city or your town or, or the closest <laughs> major city to where you live and see what comes up. So that's always the place I suggest people go to find a pelvic floor physical therapist and then actually make an appointment and go see one if you can. So if geographically you have access, if financially you have access, I highly, highly recommend, even if it is just one assessment and that's all that happens, the amount of information you come away with is critical to then making choices about maybe what product you would buy or what form of exercise you would do, um, changes might need to make to your diet, that type of thing. So that mm-hmm. that is always my number one. If you can see a pelvic floor physical therapist and see them once a year, again, if you can, because I, I always equate it to seeing the dentist. We, we have been told from a young age to brush our teeth twice a day and floss and go see the dentist once or twice a year for a checkup. And we go to that checkup, even if we have no symptoms of a toothache or any concerns, mm-hmm. we go to screen. So true. And I think we should be doing the same with our pelvic health, with a lot of aspects of our health, really. But the pelvic health, yes, we should be seeing these professionals who can evaluate the position of the organs, the ability of our muscles to contract and relax. If we are then, and they're they're kind of like, um, you know, I always say pelvic health questions should be like vital signs asked by care providers about poop and pee and pain and sex. 
And those questions aren't being asked, but they are more likely, much more likely, and I would say probably 100% of the time asked by pelvic floor (laughs) physical therapists. So they are doing a lot of investigation around things that we, you know, maybe unless you've listened to this podcast or have been working with a physio, would never even know. I didn't know constipation was bad for my pelvic floor, and I didn't know that my pelvic floor could be causing my my constipation. So being screened once a year for the rest of our life, I think would would really drastically reduce the amount of suffering that women experience as it pertains to their pelvic floor. So that would be number one. And and if you're pregnant, go see one. If you're fairly new postpartum, go see one. If you've never been pregnant or given birth, go see one. Um, just just do it. That is my gold standard and, and what I highly recommend. The other, um, I wrote a book um, about a little over a year ago called Your Pelvic Floor, and it's published by Watkins Publishing. That is a good kind of overall manual through the various life stages of all the things that we can experience with our pelvic health and all the things we can do to prevent or come in and intervene to help overcome. So that's a good resource for people to go to. Um, posture plays a role. So how we sit and stand throughout our day if we're sitting a lot and if we're sitting with a tucked under pelvis, meaning sitting more with the weight on our tailbone as opposed to forward, like a bit of an anterior tilt, mm-hmm. that can create, I just saw you sit up a little taller when, you know, <laughs> as soon as you start talking. You caught, you caught that, did you? Yeah. Um, so sorry for people that can't see that. But um, yeah, posture, how we hold ourselves plays a role. If, if if we are sitting a lot of the time, our body, our muscles adapt to the positions that we spend the most time in. Of course, yeah. And when we are chronically in that tucked posterior tilt, it can create tension and kind of overactivity in that group of muscles that can then potentially lead to incontinence or prolapse or pain. So posture plays a role. How we breathe plays a role. Our trauma, like our, our past sexual health-wise or uh, physical trauma, like falls on our tailbone, car accidents, uh, maybe other pelvic surgeries. So people mm-hmm. who have endometriosis or adenomyosis, people who've had hysterectomies, which is one of pretty much almost the most common. I think cesarean is the most common in the United States uh, from a surgical perspective, but hysterectomies are close to half a million every single year are, are performed. And people aren't given the information that while sometimes they're having that hysterectomy because of a prolapse, they aren't told that it can increase your likelihood of other types of prolapse and incontinence. So there's there's so many, I could go on and on all day about all the different factors to, to consider. But um, pelvic floor physical therapist, number one, um, educate yourself. So I've got resources on my blog, on YouTube, uh, my social media channels, my book, and then tell others, uh, you know, learn what you what you need and what you can and start to take action. So maybe come and take the challenge or do the exercises your physical therapist recommends and then tell other people, all the other women in your life, tell them it's never too late. I think that's so important. Yeah. yeah. Never too late. Mm, that's a really great list. And I wanted to just add on to that, um, especially the, you've met, you mentioned a few times, sort of like if, if it's accessible to you for pelvic floor therapy, my very first guest that I had on the first episode of the podcast was my doula, Liza. And in that episode, we talked about the accessibility of how, you know, some people, a lot of people don't even know what a doula mm-hmm. is, probably very similar to a pelvic floor therapy, but it can be a, having a doula or having that therapy can be so, so beneficial, but also inaccessible for some people. And something that she had recommended in that episode was this concept of doula dollars. So, you know, people have baby showers yeah. and they put, you know, a list of all the things that they think they need or want or whatnot on the on the list. And then people bring it for them. And this idea of giving somebody money to put specifically towards either a birth doula or a postpartum doula. And I think the same kind of concept could be applied for people if they learn about it, as you know, you're educating me and educating everyone listening about the importance of pelvic floor health and exercise. And, you know, if you're listening and you can't think of a gift to give to the next person at their upcoming baby shower, like why not give them pelvic health dollars or something of the sort to, yeah, to make sure that that is accessible to that person. And then, you know, everyone at that baby shower can learn more about maybe I should be getting my pelvic health assessed as well. So wholeheartedly agree, wholeheartedly agree. 
Um, Kim, I want to say thank you so much for joining me today. Can you quickly either shout out to programs that are currently going or I've mentioned a few times that people can find you at Vagina Coach on Mm -hmm. Instagram and TikTok. Is there anywhere that I've missed that you'd love to share as well? No, thank you very much for all the shares. Uh, Vaginacoach.com is my website. If you go to Google and put Vagina Coach in, you'll find me somewhere. And uh, I'm actually launching my own podcast that will be specific to pelvic health. It's called Between Two Lips. And that'll be launching in February 2023. So you can follow it wherever you get your podcast information that will be coming out as well, too. So that's just another another place to, to learn. So I'll be interviewing guests as well from all sorts of different professions and and people who have had struggles in the past. I'll be talking a little about my own journey, of course, surgery, uh, cover all aspects of pelvic health uh, in in each weekly episode. So that's another place you can go. Wow. Well, that sounds absolutely fantastic. Again, um, for the mamas listening, Kim Vopney, go to Google, as she said, search Vagina Coach on all of your social media and Between Two Lips. Between Two Lips. Is the name you said? (laughs) Uh, That will be on my subscribe list as soon as it drops in in February. (laughs) So thank you again. Thank you so much for coming on. And um, I hope we can talk again sometime in the future. You're welcome. Thanks so much for having me and helping increase awareness. As a follow-up to the conversation just now with Kim, I wanted to share this soundbite from a woman named Kylie Kelly. She's a business coach for CEO Moms and the podcast host of This Mama Means Business. Kylie's a boy mama of two and wanted to share about her own pelvic health experience and how it affected her confidence after having children. When I became a mom in 2017, for the very first time, I was self-employed. I had been for almost the decade prior and I thought I knew myself. I thought I knew who I was. I thought I had a clear vision of what my life was going to look like, of what motherhood would look like. And then I had my son in 2017 and all of that shifted. So I think for me, the biggest knock to my confidence was actually realizing that I didn't know who I was as a mother. And I felt like I was drowning as a new parent. I didn't know what I was doing. I was very sleep deprived. I had lost all sense of myself and was completely consumed by figuring this whole mum thing out, this whole newborn thing out. And it took me a long time to realize that it's so important to have an identity as a mother, yes, but also as me, as a woman, as somebody with dreams and visions and goals for the future that actually don't include my kids all the time. And and that's okay. After I delivered my first baby in 2017, I actually didn't even want to look down there. I didn't want to know what was going on when I was healing. And after having an episiotomy at the end of his birth, my pelvic floor was definitely not in a great way, not in a great place. And I didn't know who to reach out to for support. So I just thought that it would all heal itself. And it wasn't until I went back to some gym classes and started doing star jumps and jumping around that I realized that not everything was okay. And I needed to pay more attention and I needed to actually seek support and seek help to make sure that I could strengthen those muscles because they are so important. Luckily, with the help of a pelvic floor physiotherapist and more knowledge, I was then able to have a second baby a few years later and have a completely different experience where I can jump on the trampoline and I am not scared of a leakage, right? And it's something that I always knew older women struggled with incontinence and you know, you see products in the supermarkets for it, but I never realized that it would be something that younger women, women my age, having babies had to deal with because no one talks about it. My word for 2023 is alignment. I have realized looking back on the last 12 months that I've said yes to so many things that I just felt like I should say yes to. And they have drained my energy and made me less of who I want to be. So for the next 12 months, I'm focusing on making sure that I'm only saying yes to things that are in alignment with how I want to feel, that light me up, that get me excited, that put me in an energy that I want to be in, that make me the best person, the best mother, the best version of myself. I'm letting go of any shoulds on any expectations and just going to get really good at saying no or not right now. Kylie, thank you so much for sharing a piece of your motherhood story as well as your word for 2023. And any female business owners listening who are interested in building your perfect audience fast, make sure you check out the show notes for the link to Kylie's private podcast series, The Audience Accelerator, which walks you through how to plan and host a virtual summit for your followers. 
Okay, guys, I'll be right back with my words for 2023. Hey guys, I told you that I was going to share my 2023 words of the year, and here they are. So my first word is growth, and there's a number of different areas of my life that I really want to try to apply this. Um, First, as an expat, it's really important to me that I spend this year growing my vocabulary and continue with language acquisitions. That's pretty huge. Secondly, I would really love to see growth with this podcast. So I'll be looking at how many people I'm able to sort of connect and reach at this point and how many at the end of 2023. And finally, community. Um, Growing my community is something that's really top priority for me in 2023. Being an expat and particularly moving to a new city in a different part of the country that I'm in, I lack a community of other other people and other moms that I can connect with. So this is a work in progress, something I'm focusing on. My second word for 2023 is energy and specifically where I should be focusing my energy. I think I've mentioned a few times on the podcast that I have a bit of a squirrel mentality, meaning my brain can be running in a number of different ways at the same time, um, none of which super effectively. (laughs) So I'm hoping to sort of narrow my focus and be really intentional about where I'm putting my energy and what I'm putting my energy into. For me, that also refers to my health, meaning I want to feel more energetic. And so I'm going to be trying to focus on nourishing my body a little bit more and doing sport and activity that really makes me feel like that energetic version of myself, which in turn makes me feel more confident. So there you have it. My words of 2023. I hope that hearing from me and some of the other moms in today's episode, including Kim, has encouraged you to think about how you can be a little bit more intentional in your year ahead. Okay, guys, that's all for today's episode. Thanks for ringing in the new year with me, and I hope 2023 is a year where you choose to get curious about your motherhood experience and allow it to be something that describes you, but does not entirely define you. Happy New Year, mamas. Find what makes you happy and then do more of that. The confidence will be sure to follow. Until next time. Hey mama, thanks so much for listening to today's episode of the Raise Your Hand Motherhood Podcast. I made it for you, so I hope you enjoyed it. And don't forget to hit that subscribe button so we can hang out together again soon.